God fucking damn, they were not kidding with the old adage, gaze not for too long into the Uncharted, for then you shall become it. Because I've been playing the Uncharted games all fucking week, I just beat Uncharted 4, and then my life immediately became Uncharted, while the credits were still rolling, while the jun 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 music was still in my head. You see, me and May, we went outside because I wanted to have a cigarette. Now I'll tell you, there was one thing that I liked about living in the North. One thing that I will miss, which is the lack of huge bugs. There's a lot of spiders in the North, but you don't really see roaches, you don't really see, well, you still see wasps. There's still plenty of bugs, it's just not as abundant, and I think I forgot how much I hated being surrounded by bugs all the time until moving back down to Virginia Beach, back down to the temperate climate in the, you know, spring going on summer, the time when they're really out in full force. And the new house has a covered back and front porch. And the bugs love that shit. They love to set up camp. It also has tons of bushes that they want to hang out in. So, you know, there's bugs. And yesterday when I was out back having a smoke, I saw a big old roach on the back porch. We gassed that motherfucker down. But I was just like, man, I know they're out. I know they're looking to get in. They want to get into your house and infest. That's what they want to do. We almost had it happen because tonight we go out for a smoke. First of all, bugs are everywhere. There's fucking wasps. There's all this shit. And we're just like, you know, it was a very dry, uh, non-windy, somewhat humid day, which I guess they probably like the most. So we're hanging out there, and there's just all these fucking bugs. We go back into the house, and a gigantic-ass spider goes running through the door. I don't even know where the fuck it came from. Didn't see it till it was in the house. So this big-ass spider comes in, runs straight into the closet. So we got to pull out the coats that are on the floor, like, you know, tepidly. Comes running out. It goes under this big black bag of, uh, of clothes that we have uh, near the front. And as it's, like, just peeking out from under it, May steps on it. And in a perfect Uncharted moment, the second the big spider is gone, a bunch of little spiders go running out from under it. So we're like, oh, fuck. So then we had to run run around, find the hand vac, vacuum up the spider and all the baby spiders. And I'm sitting there like, you know, jun 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 because this is exactly something that would happen in those games, particularly the third one where you're getting chased by spiders all the time. So then we head out to Wawa to get some milk. And it's a, it's 11.30 at night. So we go to Wawa, and as we're in the place and stuff, I'm thinking about how, you know, if there's bugs at my house, there's just as likely to be bugs at the Wawa because, I mean, why wouldn't there be? It's a food store. So we go through the Wawa. At one point, I step on something thinking it's a bug, but I look down, and it's just a Swedish fish on the floor. But we get in the car, and we're driving home. And suddenly I notice a big-ass cockroach on the hood of my car, crawling across the hood. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, great. So this roach comes all the way over, and then it starts climbing up onto my my left-hand mirror. So it's sitting up on the mirror, just chilling. And I'm like, fuck, I can't get this thing to, you know, I'm trying, like, hoping it'll fly away as I'm driving because it's a 45-mile-an-hour road. So I'm kind of speeding up a little, like, trying to, you know, scare this bug off of my car. But there's not that much distance I can cover before getting to another light. So we're at this light. Then we start heading. We're almost at home. We're about at the entrance of the neighborhood. And behind me starts flashing cop lights. Now... I can't see the roach anymore. It had crawled back onto the hood while we were at the stoplight. 
and I don't know where it is, but I'm getting pulled over. So this is the one circumstance where I absolutely must roll down my window while I know for a fact that there is a gigantic cockroach hanging out outside the window of the car somewhere. And I'm getting pulled over. So at this point, not only is my heart up in my throat, but the is just racing through my head because it's literally I was just hearing it. And I've been hearing it constantly because I've been playing these games all fucking week and it plays every time you're in a fucking gunfight. So the fucking cops coming over and I'm just like, oh, my fucking God. Like, I'm literally expecting that he's pulling me over because I was going a little over the speed limit. And I was only doing like 50 and a 45. But, you know, there's a lot of cops in Virginia Beach. Maybe they're going to be strict about it. I don't fucking know. So I'm like, I roll the window down about halfway. And moreover, we don't have the registration in the car yet. So, because, you know, I just got it in the mail. I haven't put it in the car. At least I thought. It turns out we did have it. But, but you know, so the, the cop's coming over, and I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm going to fucking explode. So I roll down the window about halfway, and the cop comes over, and he's like, I stopped you because you don't have your rear lights on. And that's when I realized, because I haven't gotten used to the fact that my new car, you have to actually turn the lights on because of the fact that it still has lights that come on when you turn the car on there are headlights but not all of the lights inside the car come on until you turn on the lights so i just forgotten to turn it on while we were leaving the wawa probably because my mind was on other things so yeah luckily i you know i told him oh shit i like totally forgot this isn't an automatic it's a brand new car don't even have the registration on me you know he goes back looks up the stuff lets us go roach did not make it into the car Thank fucking God. But Jesus Christ, what a comical scenario. So you're listening to the Whirling Dervish podcast hosted by me, Artso Fartso, and uh, presided over by the lovely Pansu Party, who uh, makes sure things don't get too chaotic. Do you want to say anything? No? All right. She's just observing. She's security. Uh, For those who don't know, episode two, which at the time of this recording hasn't actually come out yet, is because I cut it together from two different recordings. I had recorded an initial episode, and I just didn't think it was good enough. The first episode was so fucking good that I just couldn't let people down by releasing a mediocre second episode. And I figured, fuck it, nobody knows what the schedule for this is, including me yet, so I'll just record a second portion And then edit those both into one podcast, you know, of just the best of. So that's how I think I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do a best of compilation of whichever rants, or I'll just try to make sure I'm in the right headspace. Because, like, when I tried to record episode two, it was like I had a lot of ideas of things I wanted to talk about, but I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the, you know, heart racing. I didn't have the pure primal fury I had felt that day that I had released the Sonic video for pretty obvious reasons. And I also had tried to write all the stuff down. And the problem with that is that when I'm talking on this podcast, it's all just in the moment. It's me following the train of logic as it comes to me. When I'm looking at notes, I kind of can't remember exactly what I was thinking when I wrote the thing down, since it's like a simplified version of what the long train of thought had been. So it's better to just go into these with a basic idea and let the train run. I think that's the best way to do this. 
So on today's episode, what really got me whirling yesterday was the utter baffling lack of reading comprehension on the internet. People on the internet, they just don't know what they're reading. They're fucking just utterly just don't know. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to interpret words. And it makes me understand why Twitter is so annoying. Why everyone feels the need to put everything in all caps with claps between it. Because it's literally the only way to make sure that the people know what you're talking about. To be very clear with your message. Because if you're not, they don't get it. So I put out this tweet where I said, Tell me, out of all the anime that I haven't seen at all, what I would need to watch in order to make a top 50 anime of the decade list at the end of the year. And then I put a link to my anime list. Now, if you are not familiar with all this shit, because I don't know, maybe you're not part of my core audience, maybe this podcast is developing a unique audience from the rest of my content, my anime list is a site where you literally just list every single anime you've ever seen, the status of how many episodes, whether you consider it something you're watching, something you dropped, something that's on hold, or something that is completed. So I post a link to my Mal, and I'm not necessarily expecting that I'm supposed to get hundreds of replies, because I'm asking for something kind of complex. You have to first think of all of the shows that you believe would be on your best of the decade list. Then you have to go into my mal and control F all of those and make sure that I haven't seen any of them. Of course, I knew as soon as I posted this that a lot of people were just going to tell me to pick up shows that I had dropped. That they're going to tell me, oh, I can't believe you dropped this show that I love. You've got to watch that before you make your list. Which is not what I asked for. I know what shows I dropped. I know how people feel about those shows. I know that there's plenty of shit that I've put down that other people think is great. But it doesn't matter because I already know about those shows. I am fully aware that these shows are, you know, I know their quality because I've checked them out and I decided I didn't like them for one reason or another. There are some that I probably will give a second shot before I make a list like this if I personally think there's a chance that my opinion of it would be different now than it was back when I dropped it. I mean, the decade is a long time. I was a fucking teenager at the start of this decade, barely. God. Jesus Christ. But anyway... New live-action Akira film by Thor Ragnarok director set for May 21st, 2021. Well, that's going to be bad. This was, uh, this was the news brought to you by Pantsu Party in the middle of this. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't want any recommendations of dropped shows, but I knew that was coming. What I didn't expect was the people recommending me stuff that didn't even come out in the last decade immediately. Like, four people. Monster. Gotta watch Monster. You haven't seen Monster. Monster came out in 2004! It's not this decade! And, moreover, it's on my dropped list! And so, of course, I go ahead and I quote-tweet one of the guys saying Monster... 
I chose a name I recognized so that I knew that he wouldn't be offended. And I said, hey, guys, I know I got to watch Monster, but it came out in 2004. Then I inevitably get the guys going, oh, well, don't watch the anime. You should read the manga of Monster instead. First of all, I don't care. This is not a conversation about Monster. The whole reason I'm saying this is so that you will stop talking about Monster when it's irrelevant to what I'm doing here. And second of all, I've already heard this argument before. I spend time on the internet and anime communities. I know everyone's opinion of Monster. I am well aware that the anime is just a direct panel-for-panel interpretation of the manga, that the pacing suffers because of it. I, I know. I know this shit. All I want is to make sure... That if I go about trying to make a top 50 of the decade list, there's not some really great shit that I forgot about from the, like, three or four years out of the decade and random splotches where I haven't seen a lot of the shit. I've seen everything from 2014. I've seen everything from 2010. I've seen everything from 2018 and 2016. A lot of 2017. All the stuff from this year so far... There's just a lot of stuff in like 2015, 2013, 2012, 2017 a little bit that I haven't seen yet. So I just want to make sure that I have a catalog of the important shit. But no, people are just telling me to watch every show that they like. like. I get these responses that are like, oh, well, you know, your list won't even be worth it if you don't complete flip flappers. Motherfucker, you don't know what kind of list I'm trying to make. You literally have no idea what even people are like, oh, this is going to be the ultimate tier list. No, it's not a tier list. Like, I, some of it I think is joking, but like the just sheer wealth and magnitude of just irrelevant shit to the question. Yahtzee Croshaw said once that people, you know, people on social media will often respond to you with something irrelevant to what you're asking. And it's the equivalent of raising your hand in class and go, ooh, ooh, pick me. And then you get picked and you say, I don't know. It's like, do you just want attention? Why, why are you doing this? Do you, uh, you, is it an attempt to feel useful? Because you're not being useful. You're wasting my fucking time. Because now I don't want to read any of the replies. Because if this had gone the way it should have, there would have not, first of all, not been that many people who actually know good shows that I don't have on my list. Because I've seen most shit. So I know that I'm asking something difficult of you. I know this is something most of you won't have an answer for. So if you don't have an answer, just don't say anything. But even among the people who would have an answer, you know, I, I, I know that you're, you're going to have to put in some work on this. And I think that's the main reason that people come away feeling like they need to say something. Because they go in and they try to find something and then they can't. They can't think of anything that I haven't seen at all. So they just think of something they like that they found in the drop list and they come up with that. And I'm like, read the tweet. Read it back. You see where it says things I haven't watched at all? What do you think that part means? Now, I get this kind of shit all the time on Twitter. I am constantly having people respond to my tweets in ways that just make no sense. That, like, on some level, I'm willing to take the blame sometimes if I word something confusingly. 
If I word it in a way that's open to interpretation, if I crack a joke that's a little too advanced, and I usually avoid doing that kind of stuff. Like, I have ideas for tweets all the fucking time that I just don't post because I don't think anybody will get it, and I don't want to have to read the dipshit replies that I'm going to get. I don't want to have to explain it again to my audience. I don't want to have to, you know, if I crack a joke that is maybe, you know, that you'd have to know certain things to get the joke, I don't want to have to then explain the joke to you when you don't get it. So I just avoid it. I just don't even bother most of the time. But, like, this seems like such an innocuous ask. Just, if you just paid attention to every word in the sentence, we wouldn't have this problem. But no one does. No one pays attention to every word in a sentence unless you clap between each word. And now I get it. I get why everything on the internet is so obnoxiously forward. There's no subtlety or nuance because if you tried to use those things, nobody's going to understand you. And I don't know how much of this is just youth. I don't know how much of it is just young people or just people not paying attention. If it's just people who seriously can't fucking read. If they're just dumb. Like, I don't know what is the chief cause of the shit reading comprehension on the internet. But it's it's just constant. And it's such a jarring experience when I go from somewhere like Twitter and I see the conversations happening on there and the, and the level of them. And then I go to like the PCP Discord, and those guys are intelligent people with good reading skills. And so when they're having a conversation about the same thing as what's going on on Twitter, it's just like so much more interesting and nuanced and and thought through in a way that's that seems obvious to me. Like it's not like people writing walls of text. They're writing tweet length you know, little posts in the Discord. They're just using 10 words to say something that makes perfect sense and seems like the reading, the conclusion anybody would come to. And then you go on Twitter and you're like, where the fuck do you find these people? And then you realize that those people outnumber you. And then you realize that you 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 just start whirling. You just start whirling. You're you're in a whirling dervish all of a sudden. You you just start whirling and whirling and whirling, and you're trying to whirl so fast that you can't see anything. All right. So I have a public service announcement to make. I think it might be possible that biking is hella gay, because as far as I can tell, um, riding a bike, racing bikes. Is, is mostly consists of shoving something up your ass and just kind of bobbing on it for a while, which is fine. I'm not knocking it. But I just want some acknowledgement that uh, road biking is hella gay. And I feel like this is one of those things where you would be expected to have some level of respect for, like, the sport of biking, and I look at it, and I think, uh, this seems like dumb shit. So, yesterday, uh, Pansu here rode her bike around the neighborhood, and she had bruises on her tailbone. She was like, my ass hurts. So, uh, I was like, oh yeah, your gooch, yeah, your gooch hurts. 
So I was like, yeah, that tends to happen when you ride a bike. And then I was thinking about the fact that my bike has one of those big, fat, padded seats on it because it's a beach cruiser. You know, it was made to be comfortable. And then I thought, why is that not standard issue? Like, why have we accepted bikes having non-big, fat seats? Because I I understand that the bike industry it's in their best interest to stick you with a shitty seat so that you have to then go buy a better seat for your bike. That makes perfect sense to me. But why do people allow bikes to be bought that don't have those seats? Like, why is that not just standard issue? And then I thought, what is the incentive for you as a biker to have a smaller seat other than that you can't afford the bigger one? And then I realized that those people who ride road bikes, they've got just like a little fucking pike that just goes right up their ass. And the reason is it makes the bike more aerodynamic so you can go faster. And this led me to the question, who gives a fuck how fast you can go on a bike? Why do we give a shit at all? Why would that ever impress anyone that you can go fast on a bike? Like, no shit. It's a a contraption built to make you go faster and, you know, make it so you can get from one place to another quicker. But, like, if if you're just trying to go as fast as possible, drive a car. Like, there's nothing impressive about being able to bike fast. If you can run fast, I might be impressed with the, you know, the physical abilities you have. And if you were to compare the body of a biker to the body of a sprinter... You're going to notice the sprinter is way more fucking jacked. Like, being a biker, it does take a certain build. It takes a certain level. You have to, you know, build up endurance. You have to be pretty fucking strong, pretty physically fit. But it's not the same as pushing your body to the fucking limits of human capability by sprinting. Which, I mean, even then... Who gives a shit because it has no practical application. It's just something you watch to see somebody go fast. But at least that is reasonably impressive to me. Being able to ride a bike fast is... I I don't get it. I don't see the appeal of that. And I feel like it's just been around for long enough. And there's been enough, like, major and respected competitions that people spectate. That, like, it's considered, like, a respected sport. It's like something that if I were to just come out and say bikes are gay, people would be like, uh, that's that's a real immature way of looking at it. And I'm like, no, what's an immature way of looking at things is when you just accept that something is okay because it's existed for a long time and other people like it. I think that's ridiculous. I think that there's a lot of bullshit in this world, that just because it's been around for long enough and enough people care about it, we just treat it like it's somehow above, like, pop media. You know, like, nobody's out there talking about these Marvel movies and, like, well, okay, I was gonna say nobody's gonna shit down your throat if you you say that you think Marvel movies are not that great, Uh, but I know that's not true. I know there's plenty of fanboys out there who will be like that, but I think that it's a much more commonly accepted position to take that something popular is not good. 
as long as that popular thing hasn't been around for 50 years, as long as that popular thing hasn't existed since before you were born, because people just have this like reverence for things that have been around for a long time, even though we're constantly trying to progress beyond things that have been around for a long time. Most of our ingenuity as human beings is about advancing forward about you know looking at old shit and saying how can we make it better and like i understand having an interest in old-fashioned things and and wanting to maybe preserve it on some romantic level you know in a museum but like to be all into bike riding it's like why what is interesting about this what what is it about this form of sport that I should respect it more than something newer or something that makes more sense to me, you know? And when I look at a guy riding a, a road bike, and first of all, I think of it as a rich person's hobby. Because in order to ride those kinds of bikes, you have to buy a very nice bike, which, you know, those bikes are $700 for like, you know, an entry level road bike. Which is weird because they are – they have less components to them. Like you, if you buy a mountain bike, it's a more complex machine than a road bike. I guess it takes maybe, – maybe it's just the alloys that the road bikes are made out of that make them extra light that cost more. I don't know. It seems like it's the kind of thing where it's just gatekeeping. It's like, oh, well, if you want to go pro, you got to get the real fucking bike, you know, because – that's just the nature of of the sport. And there's a lot of sports that are like that. There's a lot of sports that are dominated by people who were able to afford the good equipment to practice with when they were younger. And biking comes off as that kind of sport to me because when you want to get really into road biking, you need to have all this fucking gear. You got to have the right clothes. You got to have, you know, the right bike attachments and shit. And... Then there's the fact that, you know, to even practice it, you're either being a road biker, which is just someone who everybody around you hates, or you are riding on a closed track or something, which is, again, money. So I see it as sort of a pretentious, rich people hobby that has no real practical application because being able to go fast on a bike isn't really useful in everyday life because... If you're riding a bike around, say, a city, you have to stop frequently for lights. You have to stop for pedestrians. You can't go that fast safely. The only times that you can really haul ass on a bike are if you're either on, like, an open stretch of road that goes to nowhere or if you're on, you know, a closed track or if you're in a race. So being able to bike fast will never be like worthwhile in any kind of situation that you're going to encounter realistically. Being able to run fast can be a great strength to have. If you can run really fast, you can get away from the cops. You can get away from other people. You can, uh, you know, if, if something comes up and you really need to get somewhere quick, like, sure, you could ride a bike, and if you can ride fast, you might get there quicker, but if you're riding through the city then, you know, you're, you're going to be hitting stoplights and shit anyways. And, uh, you know, whether you're on foot or on a bike. And so you're, you know, the relative amount of additional speed you're going to get from being able to ride faster, is just not going to add that much 
to the speed you already achieve just by riding a bike. So, yeah, it just seems like a pointless, rich person's gay hobby about shoving a fucking thing in your gooch and, you know, getting ass-rammed by a bicycle. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just saying. Gay porn isn't a respected sport. Why should bike riding be? Can we do away with this centrist meme? This idea that there is such thing as a a political centrist? You can be a centrist on an issue, I guess. You can say, oh, well, like, I see two sides of a dispute and my position is directly in the middle of the two. But to suggest that by having certain opinions that align with both parties, this means you are in the center is completely asinine because in this bipartisan system here in America, the two sides just have a random fucking smattering of beliefs that have nothing to do with each other, that barely have any logical train between them. Like, for instance, the, the, the conservative, the, uh, the Republican Party is associated with both free market economics and with rejection of gay rights and uh, abortion. And then you've got the left, which is associated with being pro-abortion and also with uh, being, at this point now, um, anti-capitalist. These In both of these cases, the two positions have nothing to fucking do with each other. It would be perfectly reasonable for you to have strong opinions on both issues that are – you know, that that fit into both parties. And so if you take like a political compass quiz and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm super pro-abortion, but I'm also super free market. It's just going to put you in between the two and people are going to say, oh, you you must be a centrist. That's no, that's fucking ridiculous. These are totally random. That What even is the through line here? Other than that, it just so happens that a lot of people happen to hold the same you know, set of beliefs where, but when most voters are not even really voting on all of those issues, they're, they're really picking the ones that they care about the most and picking the party that represents the issues they care about the most, usually not even knowing their party or the other party's position on any of the other issues because grouping everything into two parties is fucking insanely stupid. It's so bafflingly retarded that we don't just have parties for every conceivable combination of ideologies or god even i'm not even sure if i'm not even sure if the system makes sense in any way like the more i think about it it's like shouldn't there be a council of people representing as many different perspectives as, as possible why are we trying to have a majority of one or the other of these random fucking collections of ideologies I'm just really baffled by it. Like, when I take political compass quizzes, it tends to label me as a libertarian. Well, the libertarian party is completely retarded. They they have all these, like, crazy out there things that they try to push for. And, like, when you take a quiz like that, the questions it gives you, they're, they're – they force you into having an extreme viewpoint in order for – you to have a a placement on the map, essentially. Like, okay, I get into arguments with people online 
where I have these hardcore, like, communist Marxist people who are following me who, when I talk about the free market and I talk about how I, I like capitalism and, like, ways to fix capitalism, they're like, oh, you're, you said one thing that is, like, a socialist idea and, therefore, you're totally against capitalism. You're preaching for socialism here. Well, I mean, yeah, because having one extreme or the other is totally fucking ridiculous. Like, you need to have some rules in place. Yes, I want, I am overall libertarian because anything past a certain amount of authoritativeness I find disgusting. But that doesn't mean I want no authority, no rules, no society. You know, like, I, I, yeah, I think there should be some fucking rules in place that keep things in check. I, I think that's, you know, what a stable person would argue for. But, like, so, so, yeah, maybe some of my ideas could be construed as socialist in as much as they're not extremely radically libertarian. But to go and just be like, oh, well, you got to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Now you got to be a complete socialist. No! That shit's also ridiculous. It it just it drives me insane. It drives me insane that people call this centrism. It's not centrism. It's just a different thing from the established parties. There can be more than four. There can be more than eight, ten, however many you want. Like every unique combination of ideas can have its own label and you know, trying to box people into whichever one they happen to be closest to is so fucking unhelpful. This is why I get so fucking pissed off when I've got people telling me, like, trying to tell me what political alignment I'm close. Oh, Digi's going conservative or Digi's such a libtard. It's like, I'm not really that close to either of them because they both combine a bunch of shit I don't agree with, with a few things I do. <sighs> I hate fucking the whole political climate. Like, politics should be interesting. I would find it interesting to talk and think about, except that nobody talks about it in a way that is interesting at all. Everybody is constantly angry. They're all, like, very opinionated. Nobody's interested in having a conversation where they come away thinking something different. They're interested in having a conversation where they convince you why you're wrong about something. Oh, here's another thing I want to address. Go read a book. People are constantly telling me, oh, Digi, you always talk about politics, but you never go very deep because you clearly haven't read enough of the literature. You don't know enough of what you're talking about. But, like, nobody ever explains in what way that is the case. Like, it's never, hey, Digi, go read this book because... This thing you said is extrapolated on there and you'll be able to have a more nuanced argument. It's always just, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you clearly haven't read enough. St Look, I tried to read the Communist Manifesto. All right. I tried. I made it about a paragraph in and right away there was this insanely reductionist statement that everyone is either the proletariat or the rich that like that just everyone is in one of these two categories and they are inherently in conflict with each other. And I'm like, well, that's fucking ridiculous. Like that is clearly a way oversimplified statement. So already I can't take this fucking seriously because it's just so insane right off the bat. 
And I, I know that probably it goes into more nuance and maybe breaks down this dichotomy further. But then why start with such a ridiculous dichotomy to suggest that everyone's just in these two camps? Like, why do we have to boil this shit down like that? Is that the only way anybody's going to get it? Because that sounds insane to me. Pitch me a book that won't make me want to throw it through a window in the first paragraph, and maybe I'll read some shit about politics. But, like, everybody acts like they've they've read so much shit. Like, everybody, oh, we all know all this nuanced stuff. Well, what books did you read? Why aren't you giving me your reading list? Why Why is it always just, oh, learn more, do more research? Like, do you know how hard it is to find... Someone talking about politics who isn't just regurgitating something that they heard from the next guy over and sounds completely asinine and insane. Like, when I posted this question on Twitter a few weeks ago where I was like, someone explained to me, sincere question, how it's possible to have an artistic career in a communist system. And I just got, like, every response I got was just totally a different understanding of communism. And, like, I'm not just talking about some people who like it and some people who don't. Everybody who was on the side of communism had a different explanation for why this would work or what communism is exactly, and everyone against it also had a different position. So I'm looking at all of this, and I'm like, is there any actual consensus on what communism is? Like, does anybody actually know? Are we just going by the Communist Manifesto's definition? Or has there been further writing? How many people have read how much of the writing? Who out there has read enough about politics to have a so-called interesting discussion about it? That's what I want to know. Because I haven't seen that shit. I haven't heard anybody talking about politics that didn't sound completely crazy. So if you can find me that person, then I will listen to what they have to say about politics and maybe develop a a more nuanced understanding. I mean, just tell me what things I need to learn about. Just tell me, like, what thing did I mention that is contested and then show me the evidence. Like... If you know the counter-argument, or if you know the reasons that the argument is bad, can't you provide that? And some people do in my comments. On the last episode of The Whirling Dervish, there are some comments that actually, you know, go into stats about the points. Like, for instance, at one point I had said something about how uh, gun deaths had gone down around the same time as the release of Doom. Well, one guy posted a statistic talking about how the uh, the death rate was going down because of advances in medicine while the actual rate of violence was actually increasing in the 90s. So there you go. That's a great statistic. Something that's really interesting kind of changes the way I might think about the subject matter. You know, I'm not saying, again, that there's any correlation to games. And even in the first place, I brought it up as kind of a, a jokey, meme thing that I had read in, you know, some anti-games create violence post from like 2004. But like seeing the other side of that data makes me go, OK, moot point. Like, let's not bring that up again in this discussion. There you go. I have been changed in my mind. I didn't have to read a book. The guy just made the counter argument. If you have it, then make it. And if not, tell me where it is. Give me a link, 
you know, send me to what you consumed that made you have this understanding so that I know where you're coming from. Because if you just come in and say, oh, Digi, you're so off base about this, go read a book. What fucking book? So Game of Thrones is finally fucking over, thank God. I don't have to hear about it anymore. You know, just a little bit more, a couple more weeks of memes, and then uh, it'll finally be out of my hair. You know, I watched the first four seasons uh, half a decade ago. Yeah, it's been that fucking long. Uh, You know, the one piece of fascination I had taken from that show, I made a video about this, that what got me able to appreciate it was to view it as a literal game. That when there was the line of dialogue where Cersei says, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. And I, it caused me to kind of sit back and not think about it as a story where I'm meant to be invested in the characters in particular. Not that I wasn't, but just that the real purpose of the show was to see how far into this game each of the players were going to make it. What mistakes are they going to make? What, you know... What ways are they going to run into troubles and how are they going to deal with that? You know, like who's going to win? Who's going to die, essentially? And uh, that game, while it could be engaging from time to time, when I lost interest in the show and I thought it was slowing down and just kind of just not maintaining my interest, going in a direction I didn't care for, I, I stopped participating. You know why? Because I can find this game in so many other places. I can find it in real life. Right here on YouTube, in the Gay Ops of Thrones. That's the new game that's being played in our culture. And I gotta tell you, it terrifies me, just as much as the show did. Just as much as the violence and insanity of thinking about how, you know, how vile humans can be when they come after each other. It's that same level of disgust, I feel, towards how people act on the internet. And yet I feel that same inability to turn away from it that I did watching Game of Thrones. In fact, it's easier to watch because people aren't literally dying. And uh, it's even more interesting when you can't really take the players out of the game. You know, Game of Thrones, to me, it always got more boring when you got to a point where enough characters that you cared about had died. That it was like, well, I don't necessarily care about these new people coming in. Or, like the rules of the game keep changing. Uh, I don't know. When you're on YouTube, none of these people ever die. No one's ever really gone, as they say. You see these people continue to play the game. And let me explain. Let me explain what the Gay Ops of Thrones is. And why I ran away from this game at a time. In fact, this is really going to get into the heart of something I never was able to quite put into words until now. But I think I finally can. Which is why... The real, like, at its core, at its heart reason that I put distance between myself and Monkey Jones. And I'm not interested in starting any drama with him or having any beef. He seems to be going through a pretty rough period right now. Um, He can deal with that uh, for himself. But there was a period when he was associating with people who were participating in what is now known as gay ops. It's hard for me to describe this in clear terms. But basically, there became a moment in the mid to late 2010s when Discord arose and the idea of the Discord community when basically every internet creator had their own Discord group. I have one myself for my patrons. And these Discord groups would form their own sort of insular communities. And for a lot of content creators, these people basically became something like a private army. Not necessarily intentionally, 
It's just a bunch of people who are susceptible to the things you say, who have a tendency to, you know, to fall in line with your opinions. There are often younger people who look up to you, who, you know, want to help you in some way. They want to be useful to you. And they also want to do something as a community. They're looking for a place. And I understand that as somebody who used to hang out in forums growing up. The reason I hung out in forums is that it was, you know, places where I could find relatively like-minded people who were engaging in something together. Discord is like a much tighter version of that. It doesn't put you in a community that's just on the basis of something like we all like anime. It's like a direct line to a creator who you care about and their other fans. And, like, these people tend to form just much tighter groups that are communicating more closely. But it's also very dangerous because, first of all, it inflates the sense of ego of the person running the group astronomically. And secondly, if that person decides that they want to mobilize their Discord... Whether or not everybody in it participates, you can always find a small handful of people who will basically be at your beck and call to find whatever information you need. And a lot of these people are very bored young people who will go to the ends of the earth to find information and they don't care about morality because their morals are the code of whatever you tell them to do essentially. They just want to be on the side of people who they think are cool. And the people who are cool are the people who come across as right and above other people. So in internet culture, ever since drama became a big part of it, back in the days of like H3H3 really blowing up and like, I want to say 2015, 2016, that time period when, when drama really became the face of YouTube, initially... It was mostly about call-out videos. It was someone's doing something skeevy, someone else researches it, calls it out, makes a big deal out of it, and then that person receives a backlash. But this all happened in the open. It was all front-facing. It's people having a war through YouTube videos. However... When Discord became a part of it, when it became me and my Discord versus you and your Discord, that's when it became more like actual war. When there became this system of covert operations, of people trying to gather data on one another, of people sending their Discord buddies, you know, their their little fans, to go and spy on another guy by cozying up in their Discord and then taking screenshots of each other's shit and, you know, trying to get them to say things that then their boss can use as ammunition against them. This, as I understand it, is gay ops. So, when the era of gay ops started to arise, we ran into a big problem, which is that people want to be able to participate in this. People want the chance to be a part of something. If you want the perfect example, if you're following me, you may be aware of Bardock Obama. And he's not necessarily a gay ops operator. He's more of a a Twitter operator. But the way that he does things is that he attacks someone and then he signal boosts his attack to his fan base and urges them to participate. And he tells them, if you witnessed this, if you were a part of this, put a B emoji in your username. This is people wanting to be in the swarm. They want to be part of this moment in history when this figure, this internet person was attacked and taken down. And so, what'd you say? Baby fiasco. Baby. Loop 
Fiasco. Oh, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, because he says in his Twitter description that he bodied Lupe Fiasco. Which is weird, because everybody likes Lupe Fiasco. I don't know why you would um, be, like, championing the fact that you bodied Lupe. I guess... I guess just he's a big name, but I don't get the sense that there's, like, a huge hate group against Lupe Fiasco, of all people. But uh, in any case, yeah, Bardock Obama, he wants you to feel like you're participating in an attack, and there's always a self-righteousness behind it. That's the most important factor. It's that whatever team you're a part of, you believe in what they stand for, and you feel self-righteous in your attempt to attack the people who you're up against, the people who you're doing gay ops against. And the problem with this is that while I do think that a lot of this has been used for what I will call good— I don't think the intentions are good. I think people are doing this for a sixth sense of satisfaction. But sometimes the right people get attacked. And back when H3 was doing it, that was something they emphasized a lot. That they only were coming after people who were doing things that were shady and shitty. And they were coming after the things that they did. Not necessarily the people themselves. Although sometimes the people themselves are kind of indivorceable from the things they're doing. But I think that... Because people wanted this so badly, people wanted to taste, people wanted to be in, they started just trying to find and manufacture targets. And I think that Monkey Jones's fan base, you know, whether he, I, I don't think Monkey really necessarily intended this, but Monkey definitely is somebody who wanted to be one of those guys who comes after things on the internet. He has a lot of videos that were like attacking some channel that he thought was shitty. And, you know, uh, trying to be, like, a drama channel on some level. And I don't even really think that he ever necessarily went over went after undeserving targets himself. But his fan base was, like, thirsty for blood. And so they came after my best friend, Endless Jess, over the fact that he had, like, blocked a guy from his Twitch chat. Which, you know, is not a moral affront on any level. These guys were trying to make it out like, oh, this is censorship. You blocked somebody. I don't think it's censorship to block somebody because they're being annoying in your Twitch chat. I think that's just preserving your own sanity. It's not as though Jesse was coming out and saying people aren't allowed to say these things. It's just like, I don't want this in my Twitch chat. But these couple of people who he pissed off, they started a whole screed against him. They wanted him to be one of those bad guys. They're making videos about how he's, you know, censoring, how he's anti, he can't take criticism, blah, 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 all this shit. And this is a man who hasn't done anything wrong. This is a man who makes amazing content, who deserves to be talked about more, and he's not that famous. It's not like they're picking on some big target. They're just shitting on a guy whose life is already not great, who really deserves a lot better than he has. And he's getting all this shit from these people just because they want to they want to have someone. They want to have somebody to come after. And, you know, I was really disgusted with that, as Jesse was. And I don't think I was disgusted enough fast enough. I think I should have done something much sooner. I should have made a bigger stink about it. And it's not even that monkey was necessarily promoting this behavior but that he was you know associating with these people he was working with them he was shouting them out in his videos he was encouraging them to just generally be this way because he thought it was funny and for what it's worth i can't even necessarily begrudge thinking it's funny 
but to do it, to allow, you know, to associate with these people and not say anything to them when they're doing this to someone who's tied to you is just bad optics. It's just not a good look when you're working with that person. It's like if you're trying to be in their group, you should be on their side, you know? I think that's just uh, rational. So eventually, the real reason, though, that this got to me is that I saw how this was increasingly becoming a thing. I saw how people were going into their discords, how they were forming these communities, how they were making attacks on people. And I could see the writing on the wall that this was going to happen to me. No question. There was going to be – I mean I had gay operatives in my discord visibly all the time. I had people who were coming in trying to take screenshots of shit, trying to instigate stuff. There was a bunch of people at one point who were trying to cause some kind of war between me and Jeff Thu. Like people were going between our two discords and fabricating screenshots of us talking shit about each other because I guess they're too lazy to just look for the parts where we're actually talking shit about each other and uh, you know, sending them to the other discord – trying to start some kind of war between our discords. And thankfully, Jeff and I are both drama-averse, so we didn't let this continue. You know, we didn't let anybody bite. And my fans are drama-averse. And this is something I understand about them probably better than ever, is that the people who follow me are looking for a respite from this. They're not the type of people who really get off on this kind of drama. They're the kind of people who like the fact that I don't involve myself with this kind of stuff, that I'm not, you know, in in the trenches doing the gay ops kind of shit. Like, it's not to say that I don't have certain fans who I could mobilize for something, but I don't do that because I would rather be left alone. I would rather be in my own world with my own stuff, with my own fans that has nothing to do with anybody else. You know, I don't like this idea of trying to compete for... You know, essentially, it's just all for glory. It's like, if I can destroy somebody else, it puts me up, you know? And that's why these people do it. That's why it's so attractive. That's why someone like Turkey Tom made a video about me, because he's targeting anybody bigger than himself that he can take down, and then he can build his tower on their bodies, you know? Granted, he was just a kid who, you know, I think there's a reason... That not not many of these people who do this kind of thing have come after me, and all the ones who have have been small time, and it's because the bigger people realize that I'm not that kind of target. I don't have that litany of, you know, of of offense. I haven't done anything particularly bad. Like the worst thing I ever did was probably to close comments or to defend lollyporn. And like, since most of these guys are supposed to be freedom of speech advocates, they're not going to come at me for that. They might call me a pedophile, but you know, they'll also invite me on their shows. So like, I don't think I'm somebody who people want to come after for these kinds of reasons. Um, at least presently, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure I could get there if I said or did the wrong things, but like, you know, people are so desperate to have a target that they will come after whoever they think they can get away with, and especially smaller people. Because someone like Mr. Mediker, he doesn't have to come after me. He can co- he has tons of huge targets. He can go on any stream. He can attack anybody. There are big, famous people who are doing things that they can get called out for that he can attack. There's no reason to come after someone like me who has a little niche following and who isn't doing anything that outrageous. The only people who want to come after me are the people who are really desperately looking for somebody that they can shit on to bolster themselves. 
And I saw that in Mumkey's fan base. They were always trying to position me there. They wanted me to be there. They wanted me to be a lol cow. The people who followed him were the ones who, like, anybody who was doing gay ops in my Discord were people who knew about me because of Mumkey Jones. And I again, I don't think he was doing any of this. I don't think he was sicking these people on me. He just was having that kind of audience because I think he wanted to be somebody who, you know, was was famous for being kind of a, an edgy asshole on the internet. But he also didn't want to step on too many people's toes, which is why he never fully embraced his personality. He's never become a Keemstar, a Dame Pesos, uh, a, you know, a Mr. Medeker, a Porcelain, because he doesn't want to piss off the wrong people when he's not big enough yet. He wants to be big enough before, you know, before he can make those kinds of sweeps because he... He cares a lot about the growth and about making a lot of money and reaching a lot of people. So, you know, it was always kind of trepidatious. It was always like, I don't want to disassociate with myself with this guy because I don't think that he himself is a problem. But the fact that he surrounds himself with these kinds of people who want to be a problem that I felt like I can't I don't want to be too close to this. You know, I don't want to be close enough to this that these people are after me and singling me out as a target, you know? Um, And that's also why I've never gotten involved in this kind of stuff, because I do enjoy it. I think it's an amazing spectacle. I love to watch when the right people get attacked. And this was all inspired by, I was watching a Mr. Medeker video about Mundane Matt that came out, uh, I don't know how long ago. Um, It was incredible, because Mundane Matt... It was like watching someone die in Game of Thrones. Like, this dude comes into a call on the the Ralph Retort kill stream and literally spends, like, 40 minutes telling people that he doesn't flag other people's videos. That he... Oh, by the way, if, you, if you're curious about this video, go watch it. It's worth... It, there's a lot of build-up to this payoff that I'm about to spoil. Um, so you're about to get spoiled for the, 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 the mundane Matt Saga video by Mr. Medeker. But he builds up to this quite a bit. That he's in this kill stream and he's going on and on about how he doesn't flag people, how he's never even heard of these people they're bringing up that, uh, that, that you know, he supposedly has flagged. And then, like, 40 minutes into the conversation, someone points out that you can go to a page on your YouTube that shows all of the flags that you have filed. And so they start asking Mundane Matt to show this page. And he spends, like, 15 minutes floundering, saying that he's still reading the directions and he doesn't know what to do. Finally, they convince him to put it on screen. And sure enough, right there are all the flags that they had been accusing him of doing. He did them all! And he just has to admit to it. So he spent literally, like, 40 minutes just lying excessively and then admits it drops the bomb on himself it was unbelievable it's one of the most epic like fails i've ever seen it's like wow you really just took the cock and fucked yourself with it i can't believe it i can't believe that he actually showed the page and like it immediately just destroyed him it was like any credibility he had 
I mean, everything he had ever said was that he, in defense of this, was obviously a lie. So now the internet caved in on this guy. And it was deservedly so because he's taking down people's content for talking about him. He's false flagging people. He's, you know, uh, he apparently had uh, called the cops on Keemstar over uh, supposedly getting swatted. A bunch of crazy shit. This guy had done things that are unacceptable and been a piece of shit. So when I watch someone like that get a comeuppance like this, I think, good, you know, great. That guy deserved this. And it's not that I think, you know, obviously I wouldn't want him to die or anything, which is why it's more satisfying in a way than watching Game of Thrones, because he doesn't cease to exist. You have to think, I wonder if he'll learn anything from this. You can always make a comeback as long as you're still alive, you know. I'd be interested to see any of these people like Maddox make a comeback. But... It's so satisfying to watch somebody who has fucked other people over get fucked over. And to me, that's where the line exists. It's not about just fucking with people for the sake of it. It's about fucking with people because they themselves are fucking with people. It's, you know, if I was coming after someone's videos, if I was out there telling people they couldn't say something about me, it's one thing to close your comments. It's another thing to close off someone else's platform, you know, to attack someone with DMCA claims. That, to me, is crossing a line. And when I see that, I think, dude, you you know you're going to get what's coming to you, right? Like, you're fucking with other people's money. You you can't just you can't just do that and walk away from it. So, you know, it's exciting to watch. But I don't want to be involved. Because I watch these guys, I watch Porcelain, I watch Mr. Medicker, I watch the Kill Stream, or, you know, even Dick Masterson, who I do involve myself with, but because Dick doesn't come after people necessarily, except for Maddox, but that's because Maddox came after him in a pretty fucking big way first. And I would I would credit that as self-defense. But, you know, the people who he has on come after people. And I look at them, and I don't necessarily always morally agree with them. I think, so, I think someone like Mr. Medeker, I think that he is taking so much pleasure from it. He clearly, he's not trying to be a good guy, you know? And I can separate that from my enjoyment of watching it because it hasn't, at least in the content I've seen, ever crossed a line. And I know he's probably someone who's done some irresponsible gay ops on some people, who's who's done some shitty things. But if I watch a video like this, it's not about me thinking Mr. Medeker is great because he did this. It's about me thinking that, man, it's so great that somebody put this Matt asshole in his place, you know? I think that what we need to be able to do is to separate. Separate the celebration of the person and of the act of doing this from the joy of seeing someone who's done something bad get attacked, you know? And, like, I think of... I think all of this, maybe it all began really from a iDubbbz content cop, you know, kind of the ultimate version of this, of somebody literally just saying, like, I am the content police. I am making my career going after people who I think suck or have done bad shit and pointing it out. And, like, being that kind of person, 
I think is not something to be celebrated. I think that it's great to enjoy that content because, you know, like it's kind of like watching cops versus thinking officer like like police are great. You know, I I think it's one thing to to watch someone get punished and say they deserved it. But I don't think it's necessary to celebrate the person who did the punishment because that person, you know, like what that's that's kind of sick, you know, to me. Like, the idea of just, like, going after people and enjoying it. It's like, someone does need to, you know, bring retribution to people who do bad things, but you're not supposed to enjoy it. And so, like, I always have to look at these people and go, ah, oh, you fucking, you dirty bastard. You know, you did it. You got the kill. I enjoyed watching it. But, you know, I'm not going to give you a trophy for the fact that you did it. Um, because I don't want to encourage this behavior in young, impressionable minds of people who are going to take it upon themselves to now go. It's it's like Batman in 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 the Dark Knight when uh he's like I'm not wearing a hockey mask, you know. Like we need Mr. Meeker saying that to his own fans. Like you you know uh, some kids like doing gay ops, getting himself in deep. And it's like, oh, I'm trying to be Batman. It's like, you are not Batman. You know, only do it if you have the chops, if that makes sense. So, yeah, uh, when you play the gay ops of Thrones, you either gain a lot of subscribers or lose a lot of subscribers on YouTube. Shit's getting too fucking weird, my dude. Too fucking weird. You know, I had heard that people with autism have problems shitting. That's right. It's difficult to shit. And I was thinking back to how when I was younger, I always had a lot of difficulty shitting. You know, it would take me like 45 minutes in the bathroom. But that started to go away. Sort of around the same time that I was exhibiting fewer and fewer autism symptoms. Now, you might think, surely, surely the correlation does not denote causation in this case. That seems insane. Well, my dear friend, there has been a study published on... What what article were you fucking reading? Was what was this the website? Economist. The Economist. The Economist yeah, reported on a study that was performed where they found out that people with autism are lacking a certain kind of stomach bacteria that most people have. That we just don't have enough of this bacteria. And that by eating normies shit, you can gain that bacteria and literally cure autism. I am not kidding or exaggerating. This was published. They did this. They did an experiment with kids. Kids with autism. They fed them shit pills. They fed them the the feces of neurotypical people. And over a long enough period of time, over the course of like 18 months, many of these children exhibited fewer symptoms of autism, and eight of them 
reached a state where they were no longer considered on the spectrum anymore. They were registered as neurotypical people after a little more than a year of eating normies shit. Consider the implications of this. Um, we're going to enter a period where now autism is seen as a curable disease. Where autism, which had, for a while, reached a state of being thought of as just another type of brain layout that, you know, has its own advantages, maybe. Uh, well, you can live with autism. There are plenty of successful autistic people. It's now a curable disease. So there's no reason that all of these outreach programs for autism would need to continue existing forever. Like, it's no longer going to be, oh, you've got an autistic kid? Well, let's put them through the autistic track in high school. It's going to be like, oh, you should take care of that. It's a curable thing that you can do something about. Just feed your kid normie shit for a year and a half, and they'll be fine. They'll be normal. Um, I... I'm my head is doing cartwheels like I'm going to implode. That's the only possible response to this. Like I the gravity of this. Just consider this is going to come out at some point. Like this is going to you know this is being announced. This is facts that are out there. This is being reported on. Which means it just needs to reach the level where it's on TV and in the broader public consciousness where doctors are being told, where parents are being told, there's a treatment for your kid's fucking autism. He just has to eat shit. What the fuck is happening? This world is too fucking strange. I go out every day. And I'm just baffled. Everything I see baffles me. It baffles me because I tend to pay attention to things. Even when I'm not trying, my brain just kind of drifts in and out. And I tend to pick up on lots of details, as you might imagine, from somebody who does things like I do. You know, I tend to notice the little intricacies of what's going on. And the level of contradiction, the level of sheer inane just I don't get it's like our world runs on the fact that nobody knows what the hell's going on and everybody thinks they do everybody like has a firm sense of identity and an idea of what they think the world is like what they think is normal what they think is going on around them and yet like literally right before their senses is something that contradicts it. I was thinking about this because today I was at Wawa getting green tea and a song by The Clash came on, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Now, I don't know if this is 100% true, but one time I was listening to this song with my dad and he pointed out to me that this is a song about deciding whether or not to pull out while having sex. There are lyrics in this song such as, should I cool off or should I blow? That's a literal lyric in the song. 
should I pull out or should I blow? Cool off or should I blow? Like he's saying throughout this song, he's sort of propositioning this idea that if he were to pull out, it would be akin to saying like, I don't want to stay with you. And if I come inside, it's like saying we're going to be together forever. So like it's, it's a metaphor, but he's using the metaphor of should I come inside or not to explore the relationship itself. And there are so many hints in the lyrics. I mean, apparently some of the lyrics were changed from more raunchy ideas, such as uh, originally there was going to be a line where he says, well, in the finished version, he says, so if you want me off your back, which already sounds sexual enough as it is, but in the original lyric was going to be on your front or on your back, as in asking where to come. So I think it's a pretty safe reading. I think it makes sense. And just the fact that he literally says, should I cool off or should I blow in the lyrics? Very audibly, anybody can hear that lyric. There's nothing else it even could mean. So I'm standing here in Wawa listening to a guy. And by the way, The Clash is a punk band. So in case you're wondering where their intentions lie, you know, uh, subversiveness, kind of the MO of the genre. But... This song, which released in 1981, became especially famous in 1991 when it was uh, used in a Levi's commercial, or maybe it was Ford, I don't remember. I think it was a Levi's commercial, and was reissued as a single and became a number one hit after that. So this is a song that wasn't even as big as it is today at the time. It got bigger later. And I think people just looked at it as a kitschy, kind of fun, throwback rock song that, you know, is very easy listenable. And, like, nobody has thought about what the fuck they're listening to at all. It just comes on and everybody's like, oh, yeah, should I stay or should I go? That song's existed for all time because it feels that way. It's one of those songs that just... That just hangs in the atmosphere anywhere it happens to be. It's simple, straightforward, catchy. Anybody could sing along to it. But it's about a guy debating whether he's going to fucking jizz inside of a girl. Which, like, yes, there's a lot of pop music that's about sex. A lot of pop music with subversive sex symbolism. There's not many songs that when I listen to them, I literally am forced to picture a guy mid-fucking trying to make a decision about coming inside or not. It's just a lot more vivid to me uh, ever since I've known this was what it was about. But of course, most people don't know. Most people aren't thinking about it. Most people don't give a shit. And then, like, you know, you could have probably the same people who would, like, freak out if they were to see a nipple in a show. And be like, ooh, ooh, risque. Oh, hide the kids. Uh, uh, shelter the children from this transgressive art. But, like, you can hear a song like this in the fucking Wawa. You can go to Walmart and hear songs that are about sex all the time. Because most songs are about sex. And peop- the, the only reason that this is possible is that people just aren't thinking about it. People just aren't paying attention. People just don't consider it to be a sex thing. But as soon as you pay attention, as soon as you notice, you can't unsee it. And then the whole world just becomes way weirder. You're just walking around Wawa going, hmm, okay, we're all sitting here listening to the song about the guy debating if he wants to pull out or not. All right. You know, children running around Wawa 
getting their fucking hot dogs. Song about a guy pulling out. It's happening. It's right here. And I know, I know it's constant because I've seen much more egregious examples. Back when I was in high school, when we would run around, the, you know, in the gym, and I heard that this was true of elementary schools at the time too, because my brother Shade told me they would play Soldier Boy, you know, the the oh God crank that on the gym radio, like the gym soundtrack thing. And, like, yeah, it's a censored version of the song, but the censored version doesn't cut out the line where he says, I Superman that hoe. And if you don't know what that means, that's when you come on a girl's back and then slap a sheet on it so that it's stuck to the cum, I think. I've heard multiple definitions of this. That was the first one I was told. It's a sex move is my point. We're running around the gym listening to Soldier Boy describe a sex move. And all the kids know because all of them have looked into it or talked about it with their friends. All of them are fully aware what this song is about. It's just the dumbass gym teacher who doesn't know. And these, this is in school, a place where you, you can't. You know, you're not allowed to talk about sex loudly in the open, except that you're literally hearing it right there on the radio. They used to play, in my gym, they would play Welcome to the Jungle. And I'm like, when this song came out, this was seen as, like, devil music. This song was, like, you know, had had parents up in arms about it. Now it's just old fuck shit. It's just boomer core, dad rock Every nobody's uncomfortable with Welcome to the Jungle because it just sounds old. It's old. Well, anything old must be quaint now, right? Never mind that like the the three decades before the '90s were like vastly more insane than the time of political correctness and police that we that we've entered now. And it's so bizarre because now we've got a generation like mine that was raised on political correctness and raised in a world where everything is supposed to be squeaky clean and it's it's so weird because from our perspective we see it as well the world isn't squeaky clean like we saw through this the only people concerned about it are the parents trying to make it look clean so it's a bunch of people who spent their youths doing fuckloads of drugs i don't know anybody whose parents didn't do drugs in the 80s when everybody was doing drugs Um, or the 70s, or, you know, people who were aging hippies, who were all trying to raise their kids to, you know, shelter them from all this shit, and the kids are just like, well, I see all this stuff anyways, I know it exists, I I have TV, I have the internet, I listen to music, I know what's happening in the world, but meanwhile, those parents themselves lived dramatically more fucked up lives, and just because their music is old now and quaint, like, this music about an era when everything was way more forwardly sexual and crazy is still being played, and now, like, children are listening to it whose parents would probably hear something new that was transgressive and slap that CD right out of their hands, you know? Like, Eminem in the late 90s would have been taken away from you while Welcome to the Jungle was playing on the radio. Like, this makes no fucking sense. None of this shit makes any fucking sense. And it drives me insane. Because I can't help but pay attention. I can't help but notice what's happening. And it's like, when you when you live life like this, it's so hard to take anything seriously. It's so hard to, to think 
that anything will change this in any way, that there's any way of making society better or make sense. Because, yes, there, there, there are things that sound like they will work on paper, but when you just step out into the world and it's just an absurd whirlwind of random shit that nobody seems to understand what's going on, even though it's happening right in front of them, you just look at it and you go, well, okay, uh, clearly this is a uh, clusterfuck. There's no fixing this. There's no – there's too much going on. There's no fixing this. This is fucked. I'm just going to sit back over here and do my thing. Uh, just please don't pass any laws that hurt me. Uh, I'll, you know, I don't want to participate because I don't think I can contribute to this at all because uh, you guys don't even realize – how retarded you all are. Um, so I'll just be over here chilling. Call me if you make any rash decisions. Oh, boy. Gotta start eating normie shit. It's the only cure. Maybe if I eat enough normie shit, I won't notice the lyrics on the radio anymore. God fucking help us all. Alright, that's it for this episode of Whirling Dervish. I'm going to leave this one lean and crisp. Don't forget, you can find this thing on Spotify and other places. I'll put a link in the description. Support me on Patreon using Digibro's Patreon. I'm Artso Fartso. I'll see you again in a week or however long the hell it takes.